0: This is Digital Pathology Today. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joseph Anderson. The Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, or AFIP, was in existence from 1862 to 2011. Many of us in pathology know it as the publisher of the Tumor Fascicles, or the Atlas of Tumor Pathology, which dated back to 1947, as well as a Center of Consultation and tissue, Tissue Repository, unparalleled anywhere in the world. The AFIP was reborn following a series of base closures as the Joint Pathology Center, whose mission is to deliver cost-effective, high-quality, multidisciplinary pathology consultation and education, preserve, modernize, and grow the nation's oldest tissue repository to promote biomedical research. The JPC is the steward of a tissue repository unparalleled in size, age, and diversity. The challenge now is to digitize this collection. Welcome to Digital Pathology Today. I'm Joe Anderson. We're talking with Colonel Joel Moncor, Director of the Joint Pathology Center, and Katie Olson, Acting Director of the Defense Digital Service. Dr. Moncourt became the Director of the JPC in August of 2018. His priorities as Director include to digitally transform the JPC repository and to ethically use the data to develop artificial intelligence algorithms. Katie Olson is Acting Director of the Defense Digital Service, Overseeing products and operations for an 85 person, quote, team of nerds, her words, not mine, based in three locations around the US. As a highly qualified expert, uh, Katie brings both her government and private sector experiences to the Defense Digital Service. We're going to be talking about the history of the AFIP through its disestablishment in the early 2000s and its rebirth as the JPC. What is the Defense Digital Service and what types of projects they work on? And then, of course, the big project, which people are excited about, is digitizing the entire collection of the JPC. We'll get an idea of the size and scope of the project, uh, how extensive the collection is, and what, if any, focus there is on particular disease types. And AI, of course, seems to be a very hot topic, particularly in digital pathology. How will AI be incorporated into this project? I'm here with Colonel Joel Moncor from the Joint Pathology Center and Katie Olson from the Defense Digital Service. Joel and Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you Thanks for having us. Having us. First, uh, Joel, maybe tell us a little bit about the history of the AFIP. I think many of us in pathology have fond memories of it, even- trainees in radiology, I believe, did a a month uh, for the radiology-pathology correlation. I, myself, a long, long time ago, spent a month at the AFIP. We're all familiar with the fascicles, which were a very concise yet very important uh, classification of tumors and other diseases. Uh, So maybe just tell us a little bit about the history, how, how far back it goes. I think many people may not appreciate that. And then what happened in the early 2000s?
1: You bet. So, so, the AFIP or the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology is a historic pathology institute that was established in 1862. It was originally called the Army Medical Museum at the time, and its original mission was to collect and catalog specimens of morbid anatomy. But that pretty quickly expanded to include expert pathology consultations, and you know, very quickly the AFIP uh, in the 1900s really became the epicenter of global pathology, uh, and so it attracted the best diagnosticians of the day. Uh, and researchers, and, uh, you know, the AFIP published really the most comprehensive descriptions of many diseases and discovered many new diseases, and they taught pathology in many different contexts, not just to pathologists, but as you mentioned, to radiologists. You know, one of their more impactful studies was the sequencing of the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic virus that uh, was, then came to, to be known as a, in that it was a H1N1 uh, influenza virus, and that really was uh, just one of many, many uh, research projects. The Institute really helped form a lot of our you know, important uh, organizations today. It uh, was integral to the formation of the, of the International Association of Pathology in 1906. It was really critical in forming use Gap in 1986. Um, it was the origin of the National Library of Medicine, was the, originally the Surgeon General's Library in 1865. And it also formed the National Museum of Health and Medicine. And uh, in 2011, the AFIP was disestablished um, as a result of the Base Realignment and Closure Commission of 2005, and that was designed to achieve savings by eliminating excess capacity in order to enhance military value. So that was the, the, the charge of that committee that ended up disestablishing the AFIP.
0: Okay. And then it, it was, I don't know if I'm using the right terminology, but in my mind, it kind of had a rebirth as the Joint Pathology Center, and so I'm sure... A lot of things changed, but a lot of things have stayed the same. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. What is is the mission of the Joint Pathology Center different? Are the stakeholders different? Is the funding different? You know, what's what's different, and you know, what does the JPC do?
1: Yeah. So, so most people think that the AFIP just totally went away in 2011, but it was actually the same day it was disestablished. The Joint Pathology Center, as you said, had its uh, rebirth, uh, or the the JPC or Joint Pathology Center was was born at that point, uh, or the AFIP, I guess was reborn. And it was to carry on the same exact mission of the AFIP, which is consultation, education, research, and maintenance and modernization of the repository. Congress, you know, as, as they charged uh, specifically with, uh, with modernizing this uh, repository, which is 104 years old, it's the largest in the world, and it has at least 55 million glass slides and 31 million tissue blocks and over 500,000 What tissue samples. So it's really an unrivaled source of data. So so I think that one of our core responsibilities at the JPC, just like the AFIP, is to maintain and modernize that key asset.
0: Okay. Yeah. It is an incredible repository of information and tissue, tissue blocks, slides, and so forth. And that's what we're going to talk about is how you're going to go about digitizing this. But then also it is, like you said, it was the source or center for expertise. And people may not realize it, but, you know, the Group of pathologists there were receiving consults, not only from the armed forces, but from you know hospitals in from the United States and all over the world. And I, you know, and I was fortunate enough to observe, and it. it was just incredible. So I mean, I think also digital pathology is going to have a huge impact there in terms of your pathologists' ability to interact in real time uh, with doctors receiving consults all over the world. So I think that's fantastic. So, Katie, tell us about the Defense Digital Service. What is that? Probably many people uh, may not really be aware of the work you do.
2: Sure. Happy to talk a little bit about DDS and, and how we got involved in this uh, incredible, incredible undertaking um, with uh, the Colonel Monker's team and the Joint Pathology Center. Defense Digital Service is a, a SWAT team of nerds um, that report directly to the, uh, the Secretary of Defense. We are in place um, to work on Kind of two, I like to say, two buckets of of work. Um, one are, you know, something is on fire, um, so the department needs to rapidly respond to something. So, for example, during the the pandemic, um, we were uh, tasked to work with with the NSA to secure the the vaccine to make sure that we could safely deliver, you know, a vaccine um, to the American people, you know, despite um, risks of, of cyber security threats. The other end of the spectrum is making giant leapfrogs on, on behalf of the department, um, leapfrogging the current state of technology and government um, and, and hacking all the bureaucracy along the way that it takes to get there. And uh, I think this, this project with the Joint Pathology Center is, is a really good example of taking a, a giant step forward um, in the, the sorts of technology we have, um, have within the department.
0: Okay. Okay. So this is leapfrogging. This is making huge, huge advances, hopefully not putting out fires. So so how, how did this project come about? Um, I mean, I think we're in the midst of a digital transformation and uh, you're clearly the, you know, the beneficiaries of a rich repository, but maybe give us a little, maybe a little behind the scenes or the nuts and bolts of how it came about.
2: Sure. We were tasked um, last year by, um, I believe it was the Defense Innovation Board, who was looking at, you know, the, the sort of like nature of, of some of the projects that had been had been kind of languishing in, in the department for a while. And I think um, I think this is a project that Congress, um, to Colonel Moncur's point, had tasked JPC with um, several years ago in, in uh, the NDAA. And, you know, the, the department department leadership sort of said, OK, it's 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 this is in light of the pandemic. Um, this is exactly the type of repository um, you would like to have. You know, going back to you know again to Colonel McCur's point, there's research. I mean, the the slides and the tissue samples go all the way back to to the Spanish flu, and so I think that the pandemic really sort of lit a lit a fire under us to um, to move forward with with uh, digitizing the, the collection. So the JPC brought in DDS uh, to help convert the trove of of samples into a digitally accessible modern collection. So we've been working alongside uh, the Defense Health Agency and the JPC to create a system for, for digitizing, um, tagging data, and integrating AI and machine learning um, in association with the, with the tissue slides. So a lot of our work has focused on constructing the, um, you know, a minimum viable product or a prototype that will allow the JPC to maintain and um, sustain a scalable digitization process that includes building the, the IT infrastructure for the data, uh, sharing de-identified data with approved researchers, addressing some of the privacy and security issues um, around this type of information. So, you know, we've we've been working really closely, uh, you know, in partnership with uh, with Colonel Moncur's team, um, to build a, um, you know, to to prototype the process and and move it into a place where it can be sustained. And um, as new information, new new tissue samples become available, we can incorporate them into the collection as well.
0: Okay, and then uh, before we get back to. Uh... Colonel Moncourt, maybe you just said something about uh, privacy concerns and you know other IT aspects. You know, for lack for lack of a better term. So, how big of a deal is that? How big of a concern is privacy? Keeping data safe. You know, we're going to be generating lots of data. We're going to have outside physicians, outside vendors, as we'll get to, are going to be involved. You know, so how do you keep the data safe?
2: So it's it's been a big part of of our the focus of our our work. You know, as, as you said, we we anticipate that outside researchers will be able to access the digitized repository remotely, uh, which will greatly accelerate the repository's use for machine learning algorithms. Um, so we want to ensure that as we allow for outside collaboration we modern modernizing the the repository in a way that also sort of protects protects the data. So you know, an example of that might look like very physically. You have to have scanners that scan the tissue slides, and so we did a security analysis of the the actual scanning machines themselves. So it's it's you know taking security in every step of the way, every every you know piece of the system that touches the data, making sure that we're doing a, a security assessment with the security researchers in our team with the data itself. Part of the work of organizing it into collections. Is also making sure that the the data has been de-identified before it's shared with researchers.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think part of you mentioned COVID nineteen and the global pandemic obviously is taking center stage in in many of many of our lives and a lot of what we do. And and I saw the center was featured on sixty minutes in talking about how the military is going about. Creating solutions uh, for for the pandemic, and then also Joel mentioned that you had tissue blocks. or the the JPC had tissue blocks from patients from the 1918 Spanish flu. So I think number one, it's it's amazing how the technology in in pathology is largely largely unchanged. Um, that we I, I'm not, Joel, did they use paraffin? What were those blocks made out of from from 1918?
1: They were they're paraffin blocks exactly, just without the plastic uh, you know holders that we're accustomed <laughs> to today. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So I think it it highlights that
0: you do have a rich repository, but there's very many different types of disease and so the pandemic which, you know, you would say is infectious disease is right now kind of taking center stage, but the AFIP and the JPC were a repository for all types of disease. And so I think it's easy to, to get myopic and, you know, focus on your area of interest, but maybe Joel, could you give us an idea of the size and the scope of the project? Is it focusing on one type of disease or is it many different types of diseases um, you know what does the collection consist of or, and is there a focus or a preference say for cancer or different types of cancer for example
1: yeah there's a lot of questions there so so let's see so the repository is again it's the largest in the world and it has it was officially assessed in 2006 and found out have two Or 55 million glass slides and about 31 million tissue blocks. And that was last, again, last assessed in 2006. With regards to digitizing it, our, our focus is unequivocally on this process that was described as the minimal viable product, which is the end-to-end process for, for digitizing it that we can scale at a later time. Uh, so, so that's really where our focus is right now. But with regards to what we intend, to, well, let me just back up. And you asked what's what, what's in there, you know? So it's really the full spectrum of diseases. Fortunately, it's because a lot of these are consultation cases. Um, they're enriched for the most challenging, interesting, oftentimes rare uh, diseases that uh, that you know affect humans and and we even have a veterinary pathology branch. So so that path as well. They range from infectious diseases to um, to also um, you know interesting cancers of all different organ systems and and so it's quite comprehensive and and really uh, very interesting with regards to what we're digitizing. You know we are taking uh a, a really a, again as we scale the process we'll take an encyclopedic approach to try to to scan these slides especially the ones that are grading with time so that we can preserve them uh, and they won't be lost but then um, also to focus on specific disease collections uh, we have a lot of very high value collections you know one of them collections that's really um, we, we have a lot of infectious diseases uh, and so we've actually already scanned um you know, tens of thousands of infectious disease slides to use those for prototype algorithms. Um, we also have, I think, probably one of our highest quality collections is our prostate cancer collection, uh, and that's because it was um, for, for many reasons. You know, it's one is that it's been analyzed. Each, each case since uh, the early 90s has been as part of this collection has been analyzed by one of our world-renowned general urinary pathologists, Dr. Isabel Sesterhan. It's uh, also we have extensive metadata uh, with that collection of cases because they were formed as a collection from the from the outset. so so, so we're interested in scanning collections like that as well. So, so again, both an encyclopedic approach and also a, a disease-oriented approach is, is how we're, we're, we're handling that. Okay Having such a rich collection,
0: collaborators are going to be very clinical and pathologist collaborators I think are going to be very interested in working with, with such a collection because it is such a, a rich repository, particularly if it's correlated with outcome. Um, so how do, how do you go about prioritizing access to a collection? Like you said, for example, the prostate cancer collection, which is going to be so valuable as we look to find solutions to help better manage patients with prostate
1: cancer. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, first and foremost, we're, we're an organization that serves the military. Uh, We're part of the military. So, so we're looking at diseases that really affect um, the readiness of our, of our force. Uh, And so that's one of our filters. And then I think that we're, you know, we're, we're, we are really just interested. There, there are certain areas, as you're probably well aware, where um, machine learning algorithms are more developed. Prostate cancer happens to be one of them. And so we're interested in, you know, supporting groups uh, that already have uh, algorithms under development so that we can um, support those types of efforts. And I think that, you know, one other very important measuring stick for us is has to do with the ethics, as was mentioned before. You know, we are really, um, our highest priority is to ensure that the information, the data is handled ethically um, in accordance with the DOD's AI ethics principles. And we take it as our most serious responsibility to ensure that uh, privacy of patients is protected, you know that the operational security of the military uh, is protected, uh, and that um, and that you know our partners um, share our approach to ethics with regards to this data. These
0: okay. data. Yeah. Now, no, speaking of partners, so scanning these slides or archiving the collection is not uh, it's not a one step process, right? It's not like you scan the slides and then you're done. It's 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 way more complicated than that. I mean. You guys can probably tell me <laughs> you guys probably know better than I do, but you know you have the slide, it gets scanned. then um, there's many other levels or layers. It can be annotated, indexed, stored. you know then we can develop algorithms that sit on top of it, computational pathology algorithms, for example. so it's so it's uh, a multi-layer project. That's complicated, and certainly you're not able to do that all yourself. And so you're going to engage partners, outside vendors, researchers, and so on. Uh, so, Katie, maybe tell us a little bit about the process of how you go about selecting and working with vendors.
2: Sure. So, we wanted to make sure that we're, we're creating an end to end process here. And there's individual, you know, there's, there's sort of individual, I guess. Companies that you would need to engage outside services for different aspects of, of the work, and one of the things that we do well at DDS because we bring in, uh, so our, our our team is just here for you know a couple of years. They come in from the private sector you know, to serve their country for a couple of years, and then typically you know go right back. So they have sort of a you know fine tune for asking the right questions, getting really clear RFPs running a selection process to make sure that we're getting exactly the, the technology we need to bring to the process. So, for example, there might be um, you know, a company that's, that's working um, with us directly on providing the, the scanning machines, as I said earlier. So we, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that as we're, we're architecting this end-to-end process, um, we're sort of very thoughtful about um, the vendors that are selected you know, to, to come in to offer different services throughout the process. But the other piece of this is that we're we're staying engaged throughout the entire development of the N10 solution. So we're not just turning it over to the private sector and saying, solve this problem. We're trying to be be really thoughtful about, um, from a user perspective, um, what are the different sort of stages, um, as you mentioned, all the way from starting with the scanning, all the way through individual researchers that we need to, to sort of think through been helping to architect the entire end-to-end solution. So that starts with the digitization of the physical slides themselves, um, includes augmenting and replacing uh, typical clinical process workflows, which is something we rely on our uh, UX, UI designers on our team to to meet with individual users to think through, to the the more sort of business side of it, which is accelerating and and widening the space of, of research partnerships. So People on on our team reaching out, um, you know, in, in partnership with Colonel Moncur to different research institutions around the country that would you know be able to use this um, this collection once digitized. Okay,
0: yeah. So once it is digitized, once all is said and done, and I know it's never really going to be done. It's probably an evolving project, and you folks have kind of said you want to get the minimal viable product out there. So once you have the minimal. Viable product. What's that going to look like in terms of people being able to access it? Uh, maybe Katie, give us your thoughts, and then we'll see. And then Joel.
2: We've already started you know, going down the path of of some of these partnerships. So, for example, um, we've been working with the, the National Cancer Institute and Johns Hopkins University as we sort of build out this this collection. So, I, I think the goal is to you know add um, a sort of consortium of um, universities and research institutes that. Could responsibly use this collection in their research, and so I think you know. Another another sure step is is onboarding the right set of partners um, who will you know agree to you know the sort of ethical considerations and be supportive of the collection as we as we grow it. So there's there's certainly you know a next step here in, in widening the number of partners that we have and who can also you know reinvest in um, continuing to maintain and grow the collection over the time. You know, as was said, this is a, a huge collection, so in addition to New slide, you know, new slides becoming available. We still are, you know, going to continuously work through the backlog um, of these, you know, fifty million slides. Uh, so there's there's still quite a lot of work to do, and I think we're trying to find additional partners who who will, you know, support and reinvest even as they're they're using what comes online for um, for their research. So I think, you know, in terms of what what it looks like for those those partners, um, we want them to have digital a- access, uh, which includes reverse image search um, and the ability to select curated set of slides. Um, so, for example, maybe around a particular type of cancer so that they can um, be really specific in the uh, in the types of external research collaborations that they're interested in, uh, the, the sort of very specific um, work that they might want to, uh, to accelerate within the field. So you know, making it accessible and, and sortable is, is really um, a big part of, of what we hope to see.
0: Yeah, let me let me ask it more specifically uh, for you, Joel. What is this going to look like f- for the pathology community? Is there going to be a resource uh, for educational purposes in residency training? Is you know are the fascicles uh, still going to be there or be reincarnated? You know, is the you know, pathologists, you know, the practicing pathologist going to be able to log on and look up a set of challenging cases just in the course of a day, like, oh, I have a difficult case. I wonder what I can find, you know, from the JPC collection. How are researchers going going to approach this?
1: I think it's really all of the above, you know. From and you described a lot of different, you know, instances where we would, you know, hope to use these data. So, so I think that um, first and foremost, we're really trying to get the data, you know, create high quality data that can be um, accessible and used by researchers for the purpose of machine learning algorithms. But there's all sorts of interesting additional benefits, um, you mentioned education, by all means, you know, we think that uh, it's very important to, to take full advantage of this. these. You know, I, I think that as a resident, I remember being able to sit down at the AFIP and, and look at more examples of diseases um, in one afternoon than I could see in an entire year of training uh, had I not been in such a great environment, and we can export that digitally. So I think that that's uh, something we're interested in. Um, and I think that um and and so there's there's lots of other benefits of of the digital information, you know, that we hope to take advantage of.
0: Right. Okay. Now AI seems to be a very hot topic, particularly in digital pathology. I think you can't go anywhere really without without hearing about it. And everyone's excited. And I think there may be a lot of misconceptions and a lot of high hopes. You know, so I think, you know, roughly we're gonna get benefits in terms of the workflow, but then also in diagnostic assist and then also in Developing predictive and prognostic markers. What's your approach to AI in this project, Katie?
2: What we say at DDS, um, you, to your point, <laughs> there's the this, this sort of AI magic or, or AI dust, you know, that, that people want to to be able to use really quickly. And of course, you know, there's incredible transformational power when you are able to have all of this data aggregated in a way that you can then start to produce you know, interesting algorithms to help you, you know, for example, predict um, the prevalence of a certain, you know, the prevalence or likelihood of a, of a disease. It starts with the foundations. You, you can't bring AI to a solution set unless you have you know, good data that is well architected, stored, tagged. A big part of our focus is, you know, before we even um, can realize the, the power of AI, we're just trying to get the the building blocks right and make sure that um, we have sort of common architecture for the backlog as well as um, a process for new slides coming in.
0: Yeah, and Joel, what do you think this is going to mean uh, for the practice of pathology? Being able to overlay these AI algorithms, and not only for the practice of pathology, but how how AI is going to add value to the to the JPC collection.
1: It's incredible. we We know that uh, that there are many diseases you know yet to be discovered that are sitting within the repository. and And we really do hope that, the AI tools will be able to mine that information. You know, um, Katie mentioned the reverse image search. It's a capability we're very excited about. You know, to identify interesting case that may represent a unique entity and be able to search the archive for for examples that have a similar morphology. In my view, we're you know just very excited about creating these unique capabilities, and and I think that we can all see that that as we move forward, these capabilities are going to augment pathologists and pathologists are going to become experts at applying the right application or the right algorithm in the right scenario to realize uh, all the benefits, including increased reproducibility and quality and, and some unique capabilities that aren't currently capable with typical morphologic analysis. So, so yeah, we're very excited about it. And, and uh, you know, and then, and then, of course, there's also many unknowns, you know, like uh, they, these are just the things that we can dream up right now. So, so uh, we know that it all begins with high quality data. So that's, that's where our focus is right now is creating that high quality data. So everything that comes thereafter is going to be possible.
0: Yeah, there, there are many unknowns. So I think this is very, very exciting to see what what we are going, in fact, going to be able to make possible. Well, Joel Moncor and Katie Olson, thank you so much for being with us. And before we wrap up, maybe let the listeners know a little bit about you. Katie, how did you get involved first? Maybe tell us a little bit about your background. How did you first get involved with Defense Digital Service?
2: Sure. Um, So I was tapped by Brett Goldstein, um, who's the outgoing director of of DDS, to join the team back in early 2019. Um, I had worked for Brett over a decade ago for the city of Chicago uh, when he was the first chief data officer uh, for the city of Chicago, And, and in fact, the first chief data officer for a city um, in the U.S. And to so this, this problem of, of data is near and dear to my heart because one of the first projects that I worked on with Brett was how do we aggregate and organize city of Chicago data, um, transportation, water, infrastructure, et cetera, you know, to make it broadly usable by city commissioners. So I've been working on, on this type of, um, of work for, uh, you know, for a long time, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited that I get to, to bring that background into the Department of Defense. Um, and work with incredible partners like that, uh, like the JPC and Colonel Munker.
0: Okay, yeah, that is incredible. Having lived in Chicago, I know what what a mass massive, impressive operation the city of Chicago is. I don't think there's anything quite like it.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> so, if you if you've ever used uh, the city of Chicago's open data portal, um, that was something that that Brett and I worked on together um, in in the early days. So, uh, working on on this type of of data infrastructure has been um, a labor of love across uh, multiple geographies and, and levels of government. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Joel, you and I go back, you know, quite a number of years. And, you know, so thank you on behalf of pathologists for all the work you're doing. And thank you for letting us into kind of what you do at the Joint Pathology Center. So just tell us a little bit about your background and how how you came to head the JPC.
1: Oh my, let's see. So, um, so I uh, went to Dartmouth uh, Medical School, and interestingly, had a, some experience with telemedicine with Dr. Joe Rosen way back in around 1996-1997, where we implemented a telemedicine system there. But I um, accepted a scholarship from the Army to to pay for medical school, and that began this very interesting journey of uh, becoming a, a military officer. And and uh, and in my training at Walter Reed Army Medical Center in my pathology residency, I I got a you know, front row seat to see people like Keith Kaplan, if you know uh, Dr. Keith Kaplan, uh, implement telepathology system across the entire uh, military health system using robotic microscopes. And, and I, I then went on to, um, become a molecular and genetic pathologist, which is interesting because it involves all sorts of algorithms and bioinformatics pipelines and integrating data and all the things that perhaps set me up for the, for artificial intelligence, uh, and this work that we're doing now. But, uh, I was the chief of pathology at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center for five years. And then, uh, was asked by my leadership to take uh, directorship of the Joint Pathology Center, a former AFIP, starting in 2018. When I did, you know, it was this opportunity to. It was it was pretty clear there were a lot of interested partners that uh, wanted to learn more about uh, uh, the repository and how it could be digitized, and so it was a very logical uh, next step. And we've been just so fortunate to have all the support that we've had. The partnership with the D- Defense Digital Service has been absolutely wonderful, and we couldn't have done what we've done so far without them. And we look forward to continuing to work with them. That's a wonderful story. Let me ask both of you: what what excites
0: you, and where where do you see the field headed in the next ten years or so? Katie,
2: well, I, I think what excites me about this project is that there's applicability across the you know the entire department. Um, I think not just at the Defense uh, Health Agency and the Joint Pathology Center, but I think when we when we look across all of the DoD services and, and components, we are at a really interesting stage where we have some incredible data collections. And, uh, you know, of course, it's, it's sort of the same thing. Everyone is very excited about um, the, the potential to, to utilize AI and ML. But I, I think that there's you know, a good opportunity to do this the right way um, when you have so many organizations contributing data and leveraging it. We want to take the opportunity to, um, to get it right. And I also think, you know, of course, there's the we've been speaking about the end to end process piece here. But there's also, you know, as we think about moving to cloud architecture um, and as we are you know, continuously fronted with cybersecurity challenges, those will be interesting pieces um, to bring to uh, the digitization of, of data across the department as well. So I'm excited that this is, is going to be, a, a, I think, a good example of, of how the department can get it right to digitize a collection of something in particular and leverage it to, to really change, the, in this case, the, the future of health.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it is a great opportunity to uh, use leverage and change the future.
1: So Joel, what excites you and where do you see things headed? Just very privileged to work with this group of people, our pathology team, the JPC and the DDS, I think because everybody approaches what we do with an attitude of service. And, you know, ultimately we really want to, with regards to medicine, we want to create algorithms, use this data for good, you know, so that it uh, really allows us to provide improved care and improve quality and um, ultimately better serve our patients. And I also think that I believe we're doing some very important work on behalf of the Defense Health Agency and the Department of Defense as a whole uh, with the data governance policy and and our approach to ethics, because, you know, as as Katie mentioned, you know, this this technology is is affecting every domain within the Department of Defense and you know the the solutions that we're finding the approach that we're taking uh, how careful we're being is is really going to have ramifications for the entire system and benefit the entire system so I think that um, I think those are two areas that uh, excite me and uh, ultimately and as a pathologist quite simply you know I'd love to be a plugged-in pathologist that gets the opportunity to um, to take full advantage of some of these great algorithms to save time, to improve accuracy, and to to just augment my capabilities to to do my to do my work. So excited about all those things. Right. Yeah. A, pl- a plugged-in pathologist.
0: So I think that's a good thing to be. Well, our guests have been uh, Joel Moncor from the Joint Pathology Center and Katie Olson from the Defense Digital Service. We'll see you next time on Digital Pathology today.
1: This has been Digital Pathology Today. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.